Welcome to the Oscar Rewind Podcast. We're here to discuss and break down every single Oscar-nominated film for Best Picture. And of course, we are starting off with a new year being the 1994 Oscars for the 1993 films. I'm sure everybody has heard of the winner, Schindler's List, but you might not have heard of the two films we're going to be discussing today. The first one being The Remains of the Day, and then In the Name of the Father. We're going to be talking about both of these films for today's podcast. And right off the bat, to help break down these movies, we have Andrea. How are you doing today? Well, yeah, excited to discuss this movie. And I went out the other day and finally, like, five weeks after our wedding, got our thank you card. They're not completed yet because we don't have addresses now. <laughs> uh, so that will be like a huge task for me. And um, yeah, other than that, ready, ready to go for the week. Unfortunately, tomorrow is Monday, so it will be a busy week, I'm sure, at the office. Yeah, so if you are one of our loved ones that went to the wedding waiting for the thank you cards, uh, this is your update. Yeah, yeah well, sorry, we yeah, suck. Yeah. We haven't done anything, unfortunately. <laughs> so that is the remains of our day but we can talk about the remains of the day here what was your thoughts andrea on this first film of the five for 1994 you know i think we're i think we're starting out really strong here um you know i only picked it as the first watch for us because it had anthony hopkins in it and then when i actually watched it it also has emma thompson which you know when she makes a period piece she usually doesn't miss and overall i really enjoyed it i wasn't sure how i was gonna feel about it but i guess this shows what a great actor anthony hopkins is as well because he is on the cover he's the only thing i saw i didn't even read the synopsis of the movie i literally just picked it off that and i'm i'm pumped i absolutely loved it and you know, I loved it so much. I've already actually written my letterbox review on it, and that is shocking. Wow, because pretty... I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, takes Andrew like three months to write a review. She's like, "Oh yes, I saw this movie. I forgot about that." <laughs> That's how you know I left a lasting impression when I write a review like right away. Yeah. So, for the nominations this film got, it was obviously nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for Lead Actor. It was nominated for Lead Actress for art direction, costume, directing, score, and screenplay. That's a lot. Wow. I wasn't expecting you to say that many awards. Yeah, so it got a lot of nominations, eight total. I honestly thought this was going to be a film that was under-recognized. But once again, like we said, I think it's because Schindler's List was such, like, a high runner. Like, maybe that's... That's why I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's why this didn't get any wins. This had eight nominations, but zero wins. Are you kidding me? Wow. Shot through the heart. Because Emma Thompson and Anthony Hopkins were amazing. I was really thinking one of them would, like, bang out a win for the acting category. Bang out a win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they did not bang out a win. A lead actress went to... Holly Hunter in The Piano, which we have seen and we will be discussing later on. And then lead actor went to Tom Hanks for another film that was not on this list. So, you know, uh, Holly Hunter, and, yeah, Holly Hunter and Tom Hanks. It's, it's, it's hard to compete. 
you know, Holly Hunter was good, but I don't know. In my opinion, I still might have gave Emma Thompson the edge over her. Really? Totally fine. But Tom, Tom, you can't never go wrong with Tom Hanks. Yeah. Like, he's a fave, and I have to respect that. Do you know what movie he won for? Or uh, Philadelphia. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty classic Tom Hanks film yeah, that I... I have not seen yet. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought you were that you were like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. But you haven't even seen it. You don't even know if it's a good he's one. He's really well-known, and I think this might have been his first Oscar win for yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah, he won this and Forrest Gump, I believe, back-to-back. Forrest Gump's the year after. I will always take my hat off to Tom Hanks. He is by far in my top five favorite actor category. Yeah. It is kind of crazy that, uh, is he the only actor to have won two acting lead actor roles back to back? That would be first. That would be interesting to see because I feel like that definitely could be him. Yeah. Uh, Frances McDormand was very close. She won in 2018 and then she won in 2020. So she had a year in between, but she was close. So... It's, it's tough to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to be really good to win that twice, uh, especially two after the other. So good for Tom Hanks there. Uh, we, you know, we should watch Philadelphia just for fun while we're doing this, just to see how he compares you to know, the other lead actors. What's really odd is that I'm surprised Philadelphia wasn't up for best, best picture yeah. for Well, we haven't this. seen it yet. Maybe it's not good. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it has no Tom idea. Hanks. Like, how can you go wrong? <laughs> I've, I've rarely watched a Tom Hanks film that I did not like. Yeah. You didn't even watch Elvis. I just watched that recently. That's got Tom Hanks. You missed out. I saw enough. He was amazing in that. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I saw 30 minutes and I was like, wow, this yeah. is good. Tom Hanks was easily the best part of that movie, which might be a controversial opinion. I feel like people didn't like him in the movie, oh, but he's he very fun. Him in a fat suit. I was loving it. Yeah. But anyways, uh, enough about Tom Hanks Sorry. and Elvis. Uh, how do we get off topic here? We're talking about... The Remains of the Day, and Anthony Hopkins, uh, who was really good in this movie. Honestly, if you told me he was the winner, I would have said that was a worthy win. I'm honestly, I'm shocked, though, that it didn't win anything. Like, that still kind of just stands out in my mind. Like, wow, were all these films that good that I, they couldn't even give it, give it one category? It, it, it was a phenomenal period piece. It's definitely going to sit up there close to my favorite of all time, Pride and Prejudice. It is important to note that a lot of the awards this film was nominated for lost to Schindler's List. Schindler's List won Adapted Screenplay, which this film was nominated for. Schindler's List won Score, which this film was nominated for. Schindler's List won Directing, which this film was nominated for. Schindler's List won Art Direction, which this film was nominated for. And then obviously Schindler's List won Best Picture. So it won five of the eight awards this movie was nominated for. So it was just every award this was competing for it was up against schindler's list so uh you know the only ones that kind of had a chance because schindler's list didn't win was lead actress costume and that's it actually actually only two nominations i was was about to ask did um schindler's list win an acting award uh no did not shocked is that that's kind of crazy for a best picture winner not to have a best actor or actress actually win with yeah. the film. Yeah, I got the nomination. We'll get to that later. But yeah, uh, Remains of the Day had two acting nominations. And I guess that was probably its closest chance at winning because Schindler's List was going for a lot of the technical awards. It did not really get that many. Uh, well, it didn't get any acting wins. Hmm. So I guess that was uh, Remains of the Day's best chance. I bet you a lead actor was probably his best shot. Tom Hanks, Philadelphia was not nominated for best picture. So maybe... That was the chance for Anthony Hopkins. And Anthony Hopkins won two years earlier for Silence of the Lambs. So maybe that helped 
give Tom Hanks a boost there. They thought, ah, Anthony Hopkins is really good in this movie, but he did just win recently. And Tom Hanks, you know, he's Tom Hanks, so of course he's going to do great. But Anthony Hopkins is the standout, in my opinion. You watch this film, especially in comparison to Silence of the Lambs, which came out only a few years before. I believe only two years. It was right, right after it. Um, and he's a totally different character. I feel like he really embodies, like, a more reserved, kind-hearted, uh, sympathetic character in this movie, while in Silence of the Lambs, he's very cold. He's very sharp. He's very clever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they play very different characters, and that works well for someone like Anthony Hopkins. He, he's a talented man. Sure. You know, I love Anthony Hopkins, and it's, it's kind of hard. I mean, I love An- Anthony Hopkins as well. I definitely feel like he'd probably give Tom Hanks a run for his money. Yeah, that'd be my guess for the two that were probably competing for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, maybe 30 minutes time when we discuss In the Name of the Father will feel differently because that also has a lead actor nomination. So mm-hmm. I guess we'll see then. But for the film that remains of the day, for those that have not seen it, which, I, which you know, I imagine is a decent amount of people. I feel like the only one that people have heard of is Schindler's List or maybe the two we're going to discuss in two weeks' time. The Fugitive and The Piano are both Pretty well regarded. I would say the two we're discussing now, right off the bat, we're going for the two that nobody's heard of. Yeah, on, but honestly, I'd never heard of any of these besides Schindler's List, and I only heard about the piano because someone in our film club recommended it to us to watch, and that's the only reason I had heard of that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the piano is a really well regarded film, though. I believe it's in the top 100 films of the 1990s. Like, it's a pretty well-regarded film for its decade. It was Jane Campion's quote-unquote masterpiece until possibly Power of the Dog. And she's a pretty well-regarded female director. So I would say The Piano was a pretty good nomination here and a pretty well-regarded film to, you know, cinephiles. You know, the, the oh. casual Joe and Schmo doesn't know what The Piano is. No, no, and that's why, that's, that's uh, Quentin is like the critic. I am like the regular Joe or whatever you would say. You're the Joe Schmo. Um, I'm the Joe Schmo. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but but yeah, that was a masterpiece. I love it. I don't know what I love more: the piano or Power of the Dog. She, I take my hat off to her for both. She's fantastic. Yeah. I really like her. I'm glad she won directing for Power of the Dog because the directing in that is amazing. But the directing in the piano is really good. Unfortunately, it was just against Schindler's List, so I didn't have much of a mm-hmm. competition. Uh, this film. Uh, it did get nominated for directing. What was your thoughts on the directing for The Remains of the Day? I love the directing. I thought the directing was good. Uh, something we will get into later is, I don't know if it would be more the writing of the script or it would be directing, but, I mean, unfortunately, the ending wasn't what I wanted, and that would, for me, be the only, like, that's a personal thing, the only flaw I thought this film had. So would that, would that really fall under directing or writing? Uh, I would say a bit of both. It'd be the way they portrayed it would be the directing, and the writing is obviously just, yeah, the, the, the end itself. So I would say they're both uh, going to be at fault for the ending choice. Yeah. Uh, I actually kind of like the ending, but we'll definitely get into that final decision when we get there. Let's start from the beginning of the film. Uh, so the movie itself is about Anthony Hopkins, who works with his dad, both as butlers of this estate. And so they've run it with this, they're these butlers, they take care of the place, they hire a new housemaid who is Emma Thompson, who is the lead actress here, and really the three of them are kind of the three focal points at the beginning of the film. They're the ones taking care of the place, 
Emma Thompson does express some concern for Hopkins' father, who seems like he uh, might be getting a little old for this. Uh, and some of the shots of like the, the, the bead of sweat on his nose and some, some of the stuff looks really great on his portrayal of Anthony Hopkins' father. Um, kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of one of his last days. You kind of know, you kind of know where this is going for Anthony Hopkins' father. He leaves the dustpan in the middle of the floor. He's kind of forgetting stuff. Brings up the wrong dishes one time. So Hopkins' father is kind of losing touch here. And this is kind of the first of the three acts. It really feels like three almost separate movies, in my opinion. I don't know if you feel the same way, Andrea. And this is kind of where I think the directing is kind of a little off because it almost feels like three mini episodic stories that don't even really feel that tied together. It feels very much the first story is about Hopkins and his father. The second story we'll get, uh, the second and third one we'll get to later. But the first story very much is about him and his father. What was your thoughts on really this first act? You know, like I can see how you were saying they were like a little disconnected, but I, I think they needed that to show the relationship between Hopkins and his father um, so they could later tie in how much Emma Thompson like did care about his father and did care about Anthony Hopkins because that's kind of how uh, their relationship builds in this. So, like, in a way, yes, it was kind of off, but I think it also fit at the same time, and I think that's kind of what the director was going for here. Um, so I, I didn't mind it. So for me, I think the film starts really strong. I really like the story of Hopkins and his father. When he trips and drops all the stuff on his plate, and they kind of have his father kind of slowly start to essentially retire. They start limiting his duties limiting the amount of work that he does and you can tell that the father and obviously Hopkins himself and this is something they tie in throughout the whole film and it is the underlying theme of the movie the theme itself hasn't changed and that is a, essentially just these two butlers and this family their their mindset of work always comes first right and even mm-hmm. on Hopkins's father's deathbed the last thing he says to Hopkins is I was a good butler to this place, and I feel like I was a good father. And that was the first thing he said. He said he put mentioning he was good at work before even mentioning that he was a good father, because work always comes first in his mind, whether it be taking care of his own son, who he has as a butler as well with him, because that's just essentially, I guess, the family business is, I'm a butler for this estate, and you'll carry on the legacy of my name. And so the two of them really put work first. That's always been their mindset. And you can see that mindset, which is going to be the ending decision of this movie. You can see that mindset at the very beginning through the eyes of his father. So that's uh, an underlying theme of the entire movie. It's really the base storyline. And that's what makes the father important because the father is essentially going to be Hopkins by the end of this movie. Yeah, yeah. The, the, their philosophy is work ethic is everything they hold this job to the highest priority that you can and it's sad but it's good it's just their mind frame throughout the entire film um even when Hopkins literally finds out that his father has passed away Emma Thompson is trying to get him to go up there but he he doesn't because he he literally says you know like this is what my father would want. He'd want me to carry on my duties. Sorry. He'd want me to carry on my duties. Um, yeah, it's kind of sad because, like, you just see, like, their their mindset. 
how it is. And then he goes up there hours later, or maybe not hours later, but like you can see the maids and the butlers all lining the stairwell as Anthony Hopkins walks over to the doctor to talk to him. It's, it's a, for me, I thought it was a really emotional scene. There were tons of points in this film where I cried because it's just shocked me how he acted. And it wasn't rude, but it was how his father taught him to be. Yeah. Uh, I would say it was probably hours after because the doctor already checked on the dead body and everything. So this was definitely quite a while after he knew his father was already dead, but he just kept working. He had to finish his duties as the butler before he went to visit his dead father. So you can already see the the, the focus of Anthony Hopkins' character, who, by the way, was incredible. I really think Anthony Hopkins was fantastic in this movie. It's probably one of his strongest performances. Uh, but then again, The Father and Silence of the Lambs, his two wins, are probably still better, which I think just shows how good Hopkins is. When this film could have been like someone else, like this would have been like the best performance ever for some other actors. But for him, probably isn't even in my top two for him. But Hopkins as a whole is really good. I think he carries this movie a lot. I, I really do enjoy him. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about for the first act? Because I feel like we can really just break this into three groups. Hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot more. Oh, okay. So there is one more thing. And it was something I was surprised about when you talked about the awards. Isn't there an award for like, uh, like, um, art design, like of like the, the setting? Yep. They, they weren't nominated for that, were they? Yep. Oh, they, they were? were? Oh, just kidding. Yeah, yeah, they were nominated. They lost to Schindler's List. <laughs> it's like three hours long. I think it will be amazing. I, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about that. I remember okay. loving it. And that was before I like got into movies. I think I'm really going to like that movie. Uh, and the art direction of this movie is really good. I think if this was another year, it could have won. Because I think the look of this movie, especially the sets, they j it looks so elegant. Yeah, so that's basically what I wanted to say about the... Um, the art setting or the scenes is that this house is amazing. I love this house. The doors are almost like secret doors where like it's just the same as the entire wall. You don't even know there's really a door there, but you can open it and it kind of looks like a secret passage. There's there's one we just see um in the wall and then there's another one we see um in the library where it's literally books and you just pull one of the books and it opens this door. Very cool. I really liked it. Yeah, it was really good. I did look up costume because we have three nominations of the five nominated films here that did get nominated for costume, but none of them won. Uh, so I was curious to see what did win because I thought the remains of the day also had some really good costumes. I really liked the look of it. Um, to be fair, we have seen the piano before. And the costumes in the piano is really good. I actually think that's probably the best costumes of, of the movies I've seen so far this year. But, you know, Remains of the Day, unfortunately, it got no wins. But I would say it's a close second for almost every category for me. Like, all of it's really strong. I wouldn't say any of these nominations are a bad choice. Except, you know, uh, I'm trying to decide if I like the directing or not of this movie. But everything else, I would say, is a perfect nomination. Uh, and I wish it won something. But then again, I don't know if any of them is the best of the... Like, it's, it's a great film. Uh, we can move on to the second act, which, in my opinion, 
is a huge step down. I don't know about Andrea here. Uh, the first act was, once again, the viewpoint of him and his father who does pass away. The second act, which I guess is right in the middle, so it doesn't start bad or end bad. It's kind of just drags quite a bit for me. And it's kind of where they kind of start getting a little political here, where the estate, we find out, is from someone who believes in the Nazi party. And Lord he's, Darlington. Yeah, uh, yeah, whatever his name was, Lord Darlington. Uh, and, you know, he, he's a bit of a goof. He's a bit of an idiot. Uh, he kind of just believes whatever people tell him. Uh, he, like, he means well, but he's, he's also just, he's just, yeah, he's, he's gullible. He's just a bad guy because he believes in the Nazis. He's doing what he's being told. He's really not a rootable character in this movie that much i guess he's supposed to be likable because we're following the viewpoint of hopkins who worships him who absolutely breathes the ground he walks on so it is odd i don't really love the second act because it's a whole lot of political discussions about the nazi party and how they're going to support them they hire two jewish immigrants who they then later remove during this act i think that's the main storyline of this second act is these two Jewish girls who do get brought in, but obviously the uh, the Lord Darlington uh, tells Hopkins that he's going to have to remove them, that he doesn't want them to work at the estate anymore because they're Jewish. And Hopkins and Emma Thompson, who this is probably Emma Thompson's, well, actually, she gets better and better each act, actually. She's okay in the first act, but so heavy on Hopkins and his father that she's really not that crucial then in the second act she gets pretty important and i would say the third act is all her so was, she gets really good i was gonna say the first act it's mostly her and anthony hopkins not getting along yeah. and like her fighting her point and whatnot and then yeah the second act is kind of them growing closer i would say yeah and this is kind of the big divider between them because she tells Hopkins that she will leave if they get rid of these two Jewish girls because that's not right. And Hopkins says, well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, it's what our Lord wants, and that's what we're going to do because he's so blindly loyal. And that's he's, ex- Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. Anthony Hopkins is loyal to a T to this man, and it's just because, it's like, once again, that's all he's ever known. He grew up in this, that it, and that's just what he does. Yeah, unfortunately, his own beliefs, he cannot do what's best for himself. Whatever he believes, which we find out later that he believes what happened to the girls was wrong. But in that moment, he doesn't show that at all. He, he, he does uh, not hesitate. I, I disagree a little bit. He does kind of try to counterbalance. This is the one time you actually see him just say, are you sure? Like, they are good housekeepers. Uh, he and, makes the point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does make a point to say that to Lord Darlington. So I think we kind of suddenly knew he knew what was wrong, what right. was happening. But he didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, we do understand that he understands this isn't the right call. You're right. He does tell Darlington first, they're both really good mates. Like, like good workers. They're, they're, they have no conflicts with anybody else in the staff. And, of course, Darlington then goes, ah, but they're Jewish. Uh, it, it, they, they, they don't belong here and that's it hopkins brings up that they're good employees that's once again through hopkins point of view that's it if you're a good employee you're good to go like, like that that's how he is he's a working man he's loyal to the house and if anybody works well at the estate then he respects that that's why he likes emma thompson so much because she's really good at her job 
but that's it. He doesn't hold, he doesn't counterbalance it by saying this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. He folds pretty quick. Uh, he will always do whatever the estate wants because he wants to do what's best for the estate. That's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord gets. Thompson, on the other hand, was more against this. And I do think this is where Thompson shines, where she says she'll leave if, if they remove them as well. And of course, two Jewish ladies do leave, but Thompson does not. And I think her having that moment where she talks to Hopkins afterwards and saying, I'm weak. Yeah, no, that was one of my favorite Evan Thompson moments where she said, when it comes down to it, I'm a coward. Yeah. I will not do this. I'm a coward. This is what I've always done. And she's really having a realistic moment where she wanted to stand up for these girls and do something, but she just couldn't. She just she was too weak. She couldn't do it. And I, I think that's really where she shines as well. So anything else you want to say about the second act or want to get to the third? Sorry, I will say, and I might be getting scenes mixed up, but I did really like how, um, I really like how you did also see in the second scene, um, Anthony Hopkins and Emmett Thompson kind of growing closer the night after, or the same day, sorry, the same day at night, um, Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson would meet to like discuss today what was going to happen the following day and Emma Thompson just she just couldn't do it she was too upset about uh these girls that were being asked to leave for wrongful reasons and she was just like we don't have to do this meeting anymore or, no we did sorry she said I just want to go to bed tonight and then Anthony Hopkins was like we just don't have to have this meeting anymore so like I don't know. I think in that moment as well, you could kind of see that Anthony Hopkins really enjoyed the, enjoyed these meetings with Emma Thompson, and that was another sign that he was slowly touching feelings with her as well. And you also have the book scene where he's reading a book, and Emma Thompson wants to see what the book is, but he doesn't want to show her because he's literally reading a love story, and she sees it, and I think that kind of melts her heart as well because she's like, "Wow." This man that just always follows his duties, like he does, like want love as well. Because you know, why else would you be reading a love story? Um, so I really like that. I like those subtle moments where they were kind of building on, like them actually caring for each other. Because Anthony Hopkins is so much into his duties of the house, but Emma Thompson, like, wants more. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely see the two of them having this, you know, romantic relationship blossoming between the two of them, even though it never really goes anywhere. Uh, neither of them act on it. Mostly, uh, you know, this uh, hits heavy during the third act, but the third act is pretty much about the two of them now. This is their relationship and how the estate affects both of them. Both of them have feelings towards each other, but like Thompson said in the middle of the movie, she's a coward. And her point of view is amplified through Hopkins. Hopkins can't even admit that he's a coward, but he is. He's everything that Thompson was saying in that speech, where he's a coward, he's weak, he can't leave the estate no matter how much, he doesn't even say it, but how much he would think it. He, he can't leave the estate. He's, he's bound to the estate, he's loyal to the estate, even if it means giving up on the one thing he really cares about, which might be his father back in the first act, but most importantly, Emma Thompson in this act 
because Thompson goes up to him and tells him that she was proposed to someone else. And she tells him that she's thinking about it, hoping that Hopkins takes this opportunity to tell her how he really feels. They both secretly know they like each other, but they're both too big of a coward to say anything, to actually act on it. And I really like this third act. It's a lot of in the mood for love where it's two people that are destined to be together but never end up actually being together. Two people in love that genuinely love each other but they're just destined to never be with each other. And it's something really depressing and really powerful to watch love that can never actually be fulfilled. Uh, I love that in, in the mood for love. It's my, that's why I love the film so much. And this film touches on it as well, where both of them want to be with each other. He's not going to say anything. He's bound to the estate. She is too big of a coward to say anything. So she ends up marrying someone she doesn't really love. And when they finally meet each other, what was it, 20 years later? They finally see each other, and they're still the exact same people. She admitted that she married this guy, didn't really love him, but she has a kid, and she's kind of now found love through the kid because she can never really love her husband because she's always loved Hopkins. And Hopkins, who has always loved Thompson, is too loyal and too bound to the estate that he's just found love with the estate instead. So both of them who want love with each other, they're, they're too big of cowards to stand up for each other to do anything, so they've just found a complacent love with someone else, him with the estate and her with her child, and they're bound to never be together. And so that's the ending decision. Uh, Andrea can talk about it here, but the ending decision is that they don't end up. And that hand shot is so good. I don't know if it's because most of the movie isn't shot incredibly well, right? Like this movie didn't get nominated for cinematography and, you know, it didn't really need to. So what was your thoughts on the third act, Andrea? Well, just going off what you just said, I like, I like, his his whole journey like honestly the whole journey back to where she is is kind of seen like throughout the different scenes but i really liked um how the new lord which actually we didn't mention it the new lord popped up in the second part where all the delegates were meeting and he was the u.s delegate and now that lord darlington has left now the this american um uh, representative is living there now he's played by christopher reeves and he was like yes you should go meet her go talk to her and you see about how like he's journeying back to go see him and thompson so there's many times throughout his journey back where he gets asked about the darlington estate estate and the old owner that lived there um worked with the nazis and he would deny knowing Lord Darlington and say he's working for the new American representative that is living at the estate. Um, and then I, I just think it really shows, like, he realized, like, that's our confirmation that whenever everything was going on at the estate, all the big parties, the meetings, he knew it was all wrong. So I thought that was interesting. Anyway, so he gets back to Emma Thompson. And you can see she is excited to see him. Like Quentin said, they didn't miss a beat. They were the same two people they had always been. They sit there, they talk, uh, they have a wonderful time, and it was great. You think you're thinking, oh my god, this is all gonna work out. 
but right before he went to go see her, um, her husband, her ex-husband says, look, our daughter told me that she's pregnant. And that is when Emma Thompson was like, okay, I have to stay here. Like, I'm going to have a grandchild. I want to be a grandmother. And in that, in that scene where Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson are sitting there together, and they're both so excited to see each other, she lets him know that now there's no way she could ever leave this area. And you kind of just see all the emotion kind of just drain from Anthony Hopkins' face because he was thinking, hey, she's going to move back to the estate. It's going to be like it was before. Uh, but nothing worked out that, out that way. And then you have the very last scene where Emma Thompson is leaving. Well, I guess it's not the very last scene, but you have the last scene of them together. And Emma Thompson is leaving. And Quentin, like Quentin was saying, you see that hand shot where, like, neither one of them really wanted to let go because they knew they would be letting go of each other forever because they couldn't be together. And it was the most heartbreaking scene ever. And just the whole shot in the hand, it was heartbreaking. Emma Thompson's leaving. She is crying. You can tell she's crying because she doesn't want this. She realized that she she did make a mistake whenever she just married this man to go into, like, a different life. And it's just so sad because you're thinking, why is Anthony Hopkins not saying anything? Why is he not conveying that, like, he wants to be with her? Because you know he does. And it's just very sad. And I think it left me just, like, almost speechless because I was thinking at the end, there's no way Emma Thompson is going to show up there at the doorstep. But, spoiler, she does not. She does not come back. Anthony Hopkins just goes back to the estate, and he's living his everyday life. And that is what makes it so heartbreaking because he never got to find love because he always put work for love. Yeah, this is a podcast. You guys can't see what's going on, but Andrew has actual goosebumps (laughs) as she's describing this. Just mm-hmm. full on goosebumps over here with Andrea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 a tough moment. It's a beautiful moment in the film, uh, and as you said, it's something that they touch on the entire movie. It's an underlying theme, even with Hopkins's father. He's following the same footsteps where his loyalty and undying love towards the estate outweighs any actual love or any feelings he actually has. Uh, he's secretly have been ashamed of of the previous Lord, as he told everybody in the town, pretending that he doesn't doesn't even actually know who that is. And actually, really quick, I was going to say, when he confesses to the man that takes him back with the the gasoline for his car, and he confesses to him that he was under him, that was a very powerful moment where it almost, like, he comes, like, he kind of finally can get it off his chest. He can admit... Like, he has been lying about this. And I felt like that was a good moment for him where he could actually confide in this stranger about what did happen. That seems everything because the stranger asks him, so did you also believe in the Nazi regime then? Like, did you also, like your Lord, believe in all of these terrible things? And Hopkins' response is, I was the butler for the estate. He was my Lord. He, he he does not tell him his opinion. He doesn't have an opinion. In his mind, his opinion is whatever his lord wants. His undying loyalty is before his own. He doesn't even confess his own thoughts on the matter. 
His response is, I served him. That's it. Yeah, he literally, through this entire thing, never, never had an opinion. Even when he was asked, there was one scene where he was asked three questions by one of the delegates. And he just said, I don't think that my opinion would be, like, worthy in this. So it kind of spoke volumes about, like, how he he never had an opinion about anything because his opinion was the same as his lord's. Yeah, whatever his lord's. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. He was. He he never he never spoke for himself. He spoke on behalf of the person he served, and that was also shown in the third act before Thompson really leaves, and before they have the twenty year jump, the Lord actually realizes that what happened with removing the two Jewish girls was wrong. He's starting to have some regrets, and he asked Hopkins if he knew where the two girls went. Hopkins went to Thompson and said, "Hey." He's felt regret for what happened. Uh, do you know where the girls are? I've also had regret. I, I never thought that we should have done that. And Thompson was shockingly like, what do you mean? You supported him on that decision the entire time. What, what, what do you mean? I was alone on the sinking ship that what we were doing was wrong. You never once vocalized that. And in Hopkins' mind, he's like, oh, I, I, I felt just as sad as you did. I was also equally as upset because in his mind, internally, he was as devastated as Thompson. He would never show his own beliefs. He would only and, show what the estate wants. And I think that's really showcased. Like, he had no emotions. Yeah. He always kept his cards so close to his chest. And that was one thing Emma Thompson, like, was like, I feel like there was one point where she was like, why do you have no emotions? I can't remember what the scene is, but, like, and he did it throughout the entire thing, which completely blew my mind that a character was just, just so loyal and had no opinions was shocking the movie ends how it's been hinted at the entire time uh, thompson the two of them want to be with each other she is trying to reach out trying to tell him this is your chance like we could finally be together and he can't you know when push comes to shove hopkins will always choose the estate that's just how he's been born that's how he's been taught and unfortunately when they let go of that hand which is one truly beautiful shot, really powerful moment of the two of them wanting to hold on just a second longer, but they can't because their paths just don't match. And that's essentially how the movie ends. The movie ends with him at the estate, with his new owner, uh, and, and that's his happiness. He's, he, he's happy in there. It's just not the happiness that most people would be wanting. Yeah, it's literally when he goes back, it's like nothing missed a beat. Um, they're literally talking about who is going to take the head housemaid's position so that's the movie anything else you wanted to say about the story here you did say you did not like the ending is there anything else you wanted to touch on about that like would your perfect ending be the two of them end up together and he leaves the estate is that what you're hoping for yeah obviously like it was just a love that was meant to be and it was just sad that's what's so heartbreaking is that it never was it could have been a completely different story like she would have came back that night and been like, well, he proposed to me and I said no. Or, like, he proposed to me and, like, Anthony Hopkins threw a fit and was like, absolutely not. Like, I love you. Like, it could have been so different. But because of the way Anthony Hopkins raised, it wasn't. So I was hoping at the very end, in return, Anthony Hopkins He's saying, like, how he was going to go right one of his wrongs, like, something, like, he had felt bad about for so long that he needed to go on this trip to go see Emma Thompson 
you think, wow, they're going to end up together. You, this is like, this is really it. They waited like 20, 25 years, however long it was to be together. And you're just like, wow, this is going to happen. It's going to be happy. But no, it really isn't. It's just like the title, The Remains of the Day, which makes me think that like everything is the same. Nothing changes. And I guess if I was looking at the title, I would have thought of that at the time. But I don't know. I always want a happier ending. Um, and yeah, it wasn't what I expected. But like, don't don't like take that in consideration. It was still an amazing movie. I still rated it really highly on Letterboxd. That was just one personal thing. Like Quentin said, he really liked it. I just was hoping it would go another direction. I like the ending. The, the ending is depressing, but I like that. I think that's what makes the film really work is to see this love that can never be fulfilled. It's the exact same concept as in the mood for love. Two people that are destined that, that should be together, but are just destined to never end up with each other. Uh, you know, I think in the mood for love does it a little bit better, but I think this film touches on that same theme that works really well. It's the reason why we have such an emotional response to it because they should be together. And, and because they don't, we react to it because it's tough. As Thompson said earlier in the film, uh, they're both cowards. Like you said, if either of them did something, they could be together, but neither of them did. And because no one stepped up, nobody made a move, uh, it's just gone in the wind. You know, blew away just like the bird that left the chimney. Uh, it's just something that they'll never be able to get. It's just out of reach. So I thought the ending is very heartbreaking, but really effective. So I, I liked the ending a lot. It makes that hand shot just that much more powerful because that's as close as they can get to, t to, to holding on to each other. It's a really great shot uh, and a solid film as a whole. This is a good sign for this year to come. I think The Remains of the Day is really good. Uh, Andrew, what would be your storyboard for this film? So for those of you that don't know, way back on the second year of this Oscar podcast, uh, we did in Best Original Story for one of the awards, which is only for one year, 1945. And we've been, every movie since, doing our own storyboard. In a, in a sense, a quick two to three sentence elevator pitch for what this movie is about, to quickly summarize it for people. So Andrew, what would be your storyboard? Yeah, I think my storyboard for this would be pretty simple. I could just probably be man puts work above everything, man loses out on true love. Easy. Yeah. Yeah, that, honestly, I don't know if I can top that. Uh, you know, man is taught to be loyal to the estate, and that loyalty cost him what he truly loves that'll mm -hmm. be you know pretty pretty much the same tone but yeah, yeah it's, it's it's the main theme of this movie yeah so for the score of this movie uh well, well i guess before we jump into that is there anything else you want to discuss uh lead actor lead actress you, you think it should have won for both you really liked the performances i mean it's hard to say with this being like the first film we've watched i think we just picked such a strong one to watch that it's hard to say. I loved both of them. Um, in my review, if you go read it on Letterboxd, it just talked about like how like they were just like a strong duo, and I think that they really worked well with each other. And they made me know that they were in love with each other. And 
in a movie where you're not really supposed to realize that for the longest time, I think their chemistry really connected. All right. So for the score for this movie, we both have Letterbox. You can follow us both there. Uh, so we do our scorings of the Letterbox score system, which is a 0.5 to a 5. Andrea, what is your score for this movie? So uh, like I said before, I've already rated it. So I knew right away what I was going to give it. Um, and it's pretty high. This will show you just how much I really did love it. Um, I did give it a 4.5. Um, it lost that 0.5 because the ending wasn't what <laughs> I wanted. <laughs> um, so yeah, not, not too bad. I think everyone should watch it because I think it is like not very heard of. I don't, I, like I said, I had never heard of it before, but I'm really happy. I picked this one to start off with. I feel like this is going to be a really strong year. Yeah, I am between a 3.5 and a 4. I'll be honest with you. I was leaning towards a 3.5 when I hit record for this podcast, but I think I'm walking away closer to a 4. I think seeing you get goosebumps talking about it, that just makes me like it a little bit more. Just seeing you get so excited on a podcast talking about Anthony Hopkins. Um, Yeah, I don't really love the middle part. I think it's a real drag, to be honest with you, but as a whole... I think the ending's really strong. And I, I honestly, I, I think I'll do the opposite. You took away a 0.5 because of the ending. I'm going to add a 0.5 because of the ending. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a four. I think it's, I think it's good. Yeah. And also, we needed that middle part because the delegate from the U.S. makes like a big scene. And then he ends up getting the house, which I thought was really interesting. And then I didn't even put that together until the very end that that was the same delegate that got up and made that speech. I don't know. The middle was boring. I do agree, but I think it did add some flavor to the overall movie. Yeah. Um, the, the middle part's pretty boring, but it does add, you know, it, it has the Lord getting rid of the Jewish girls. It does have some stuff that has some important implications to Hopkins's character and his loyalty. So I think it's important. You know, it's just, it's so, it's such a decline from the beginning and the ending, right? It feels very different from the other two. Uh, but, you know, uh, as a whole, I, I do think the film is really good. I would recommend this to people, especially because no one's heard of it. So that is our thoughts on The Remains of the Day. Let's move on to the next film, In the Name of the Father. For our second film, discussion here we have in the name of the father so this is another film for the 1994 oscars that similar to the remains of the day was a acting nomination powerhouse it got a lot of nominations for the performances of this film but before we get into all of this andrew what are your quick thoughts on this second movie you know I liked it. It was good. It was based on a true story, um, which I'm always a big fan of. I had Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, we get to see Emma Thompson again, which was great. And this was really like a rough reality for me that this whole story actually took place. Um, the events are pretty crazy, and it just shows the extremes the police will go to uh even when they're wrong and they know they're wrong to cover something up 
Yeah, something that you really pick up on, especially in films nominated for Best Picture. I don't know how many podcasts we have sat here, me and you, Andrea, in this half-lit room, staring at a mic and computer screen here, talking about how A, either wars are bad, or B, police are bad. I feel like we talk about these two themes a lot in films nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. We have this conversation quite a bit. Uh, and yeah, this is definitely one of those movies where police are bad. You know, they're, they're not really the shining examples we really would expect them to be considering, you know, uh, what their job is and everything. So yeah, this is definitely one of those movies that is a really great example of a brutal true story that centers around Daniel Day-Lewis's character. So we can get into the nominations here. Speaking of Daniel Day-Lewis, this film was nominated for lead actor. This film was nominated for supporting actor. It was nominated for supporting actress, directing, editing, adapted screenplay, and of course, best picture. So that's the list of nominations it was nominated for. Uh, for the actual performances and everything, just to clarify, lead actor would be towards Daniel Day-Lewis. For the supporting actor, it was Pete Poslethwaite. I probably butchered that last name. I'm sorry, Pete. But it was the actor that played Adela Lewis's father. And then the actress in a supporting role went to Emma Thompson. So Emma Thompson, on this very podcast, has gotten two nominations. She deserved it. She's a fucking queen. Yeah, she didn't win either time, but, but she did get nominated. And then the directing, I don't know if you're aware of this, Andrea, uh, but the director of In the Name of the Father is Jim Sheridan. Does that name at all ring a bell to you? Nope, it doesn't. Did he do The Remains of the Day as well? Uh, he did not do In the Remains of the Day, but he did direct another film that we discussed on this podcast. Is it Daniel Day-Lewis? Is it... Um... The one where he's a little boy with a disability. Yeah, My Left Foot. Yeah, that yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he has two films with Daniel Day-Lewis, which is something I realized. Daniel Day-Lewis seems to kind of go to the same continuous director. It looks like Jim was his go-to in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And then, of course, he eventually kind of does a lot of films with Paul Thomas Anderson. So, BLT. Yeah. Uh, well, PTA. PTA. Yeah, a BLT is a sandwich, not a director. BLTs are good. Yeah. <laughs> are I mean, they should be a director. I'm sure Daniel Day-Lewis loves BLTs as well, so that, that's, that's like a given. Would. So, you know, a pretty good group here. I think we can agree that the director of My Left Foot, uh, Jim, is, you know, he did fantastic with My Left Foot. I think the director in this is really great, and the performances in this are all really good as well. You really think going in and and, you know walking away daniel day lewis is the standout but these other two nominations are worthy nominations like these are really great performances yeah no definitely i just want to say i feel like jim is seriously killing it i don't know what year my left foot came out i just know we watched it a bit ago but like they had they had to be pretty close or was that in the 80s when that came out i think it was the late 80s yeah wow Jim is like on fire. Yep. Two movies nominated for Best Picture. We should watch like his other films. Yeah, maybe we should check some yeah. some other films of his I mean, out. 
you know, a lot of directors tend to have repeating nominations. I feel like the Academy definitely has their favorites. And it looks like Jim was uh, one of their favorites for a little bit. But at the same time, uh, you know, most of the time they keep nominating these directors and you kind of go, eh, was this really their strongest work? Well, was this really needing a directing nomination? But I would say for both of these, it was definitely worthy. I, I thought the directing in both these films are the reasons why these films work so well, despite this movie being a bit over two hours. I think in the hands of another director with how much is in this story, I think people could have really soaked this out to being like three hours long potentially. And I think Jim showed everything that needed to be showed yep. and it, it felt fast. It was two hours and well, what was the exact number, Andrew? 20 minutes, maybe two hours and 15 minutes. You're right. I, it is. It was two hours and 13 minutes. Yeah. 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 So two hours and 13 minutes is the actual amount. And even though it's quite a bit over two hours, I mean, you always say shorter, the better. Um, I, 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 I think that. this is perfect. I don't know if you say yeah. that, but I say that's that, fair. Yeah. yeah. That's more your slogan. I thought two hours and 13 minutes was perfect. I thought they showed everything very well. I felt like they didn't rush any moments. They didn't drag any of these scenes either. I felt like they really showed a lot of the struggles these people went through. Yeah. I'm thinking about it. And I think he actually did. He really did cut everything that needed to be cut. I think it was, like, the perfect time. I believe this actually is the shortest movie that we'll be watching for, like, this, uh, the, the movies for 1994. Um, and, yeah, no, didn't kill it. I think what's I think what makes this film and The Remains of the Day both very interesting is not only do they both obviously have Emma Thompson in their films, not only was she nominated for both these movies, uh, and not only are these films both real examples of strong performances carrying these movies. Like these are both very performance-based films, right? Like there's not as much technical aspect as there is just great dialogue. They're both nominated for screenplay. These are actors and actresses at the top of their field here, but neither of them got a single win. We're, we're sitting here right now. We're talking about two movies. Both these movies walked away with a lot of nominations. This movie itself got seven nominations and it didn't get a single win. So these are two really good movies. Um, but that's what happens when you're up against Schindler's List, right? What the hell? How many awards did Schindler's List win? Well, you know, well, I hate, I hate, uh, knowing that these are both fantastic films and they didn't even get like one award. Wow. Yeah. The 1990s do a really good job with nominating their movie. Like once again, I, I think these are really good films that we're discussing. Like we got a good crew of films here. Uh, and in comparison to maybe something like, you know, the 2021 Oscars, the 2020 films that we, you know, were following actively a year and a half ago. Uh, despite 2020 not really being the best year, even 2021 films, uh, like the mm -hmm. most recent one, like were those really the best films, right? Like obviously I loved Spencer, I loved Green Knight, and we had films that were nominated that were like, yeah, you know. Like in comparison to the films that did come out in the most recent Oscar year, right? We had Spencer, which was personally my favorite of the year, Green Knight, Mass, like we have some really incredible movies and they nominated stuff like the Nightmare Alley remake or Don't Look Up or Belfast, King Richard. Like, like these are good movies, but like they're not best picture movies, or at least they don't really feel like, wow, uh -huh. these are phenomenal films. 
Uh, so the nominations for like the 90s, I feel like for the Oscars are really good. I really do yeah. feel like In the Name of the Father and The Remains of the Day are probably two of the five best films of that year. Like I feel like it really does feel like we're talking about really great movies here. But I will give credit where credit is due with the most recent Oscars. They're really spreading the wealth, right? Like Power of the Dog walked away with like 11, 12 nominations and only walked away with one or two wins. Got wins like exactly. The thing is, like that's what I'm saying. This yeah. like these great movies were nominated, and honestly, I feel like I'm gonna like all of these movies this this year. To be honest, but like that's what I like about like 2022 is that they like you said really spread the wealth, and every every film got an award, at least one. Yeah, actually. Here's a, let's just compare these two years since we're already talking about them right now. This year, 1994, has five nominated movies. Two of the movies, the two that we're discussing, didn't get a single win. But, so, so that's almost half. Yeah. Let's look at the most recent year. Coda, Belfast, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. That's ten movies. Ten movies. And only two of them didn't get a win. So that's still eight out of ten right like good. the the wealth that they're spreading is way better i believe the year before mm-hmm. unless i'm misremembering i think every single movie that was nominated got at least one win so they are spreading the wealth a lot more in the in, in the later years there's not as much steamrolls right like coda won this year nomad land won last year and they both walked away with three wins I'm pretty sure the, this year 1994 schindler's list is going to walk away with half the win so they there's more you know titanic came out in the 90s right like there are iconic films that just steamroll and just win everything when you know unfortunately for movies like the remains of the day and in the name of the father uh they kind of fall to the wayside so this is why a podcast like this is important because we are here to tell you obviously we already mentioned why the remains of the day is important but right now we are here to tell you why in the name of the father is important right andrew Really funny, this movie is called In the Name of the Father because I thought it was actually going to be about church. Yeah. That's what the title sounds like. Yeah, when you first picked this year, and we list off the movies, I did first think, wait, did Andrew just pick, like, a Bible-thumping film, like, In the Name of the Father? And to be fair, uh, maybe one of the worst parts about the movie is the name. Like, is the name that great? No, it's not. Like, they could have come up with so many different different names for this i mean is is this this supposed to be about jack (laughs) yeah well (laughs) we'll get into that (laughs) yeah i do think the title uh i guess the more i think about it i actually don't mind the title it's a little too cheeky like i think it's to play on to that and i think a movie this series kind of needs to just have a serious title like schindler's list right like there's nothing cheeky about that that tells you like it's a very serious title that's very impactful a perfect title for uh, the eventual Best Picture winner that we'll be discussing. In the Name of the Father, I don't know. Might be a little too cheeky for what we're going to be going with here. It's like This isn't a comedy. We don't need to be a little yeah. playful with the title. But uh, we, we can talk about the title uh, probably at the end of discussion. Well, let's talk about the movie first. Because I think maybe we can kind of understand the importance of it near the end. But we don't want to spoil it yet. So if you haven't seen the film yet, we're going to be discussing pretty much the outline of the film when we really get to the spoilers we'll let you know so you can skip ahead but for the most part we'll kind of keep it light 
we're expecting not everyone has probably seen this movie uh, once again schindler's list kind of runs away with all the wins here so this one is kind of overshadowed you probably haven't seen it so you can listen along maybe we'll convince you to check this out uh, hopefully we do because i do think this film is really good so andrew did you want to start us off here to want to set up the foundation here of in the name of the father we have daniel day lewis who moves away from his family is irish but goes to england well, was there really a reason why he moved? He was just getting in trouble in Belfast, and they wanted him to go. They thought that it would help him stay out of trouble with the R, sorry, the IRA, and they thought it would be like the best thing for him. But it really turns out to almost be like a curse that they sit him there, and unfortunately, um, everyone kind of gets cursed along with him. And that's quite interesting. He kind of moves there with his buddy. They both kind of stay at this kind of hippie place. You know, mm -hmm. there's this run-down apartment that they all are kind of sharing with each other. It's a whole group of people there. Uh, and they kind of, you know, straight up say that one of the, you know, hippie guys that was living there kind of threw the two of them and the two people that they were kind of collaborating with just on a social-friendly basis. Uh they kind of helped like get them in trouble and help accuse them by keeping, you know, telling them to keep an eye on these people. They're both from Ireland. They're both from Ireland. Can't really trust them. And so they are kind of blamed by the police and kind of this de facto scapegoat for the bombing that was taking place mm -hmm. in England at the time. Yeah. And they get him in huge trouble. Um, and even the night of the bombing, they actually have an alibi, which is like a homeless man uh, that actually sees both of them. That comes up later in the story, the alibi. And then Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Jerry, he basically robs a hooker's house. <laughs> he finds like a whole bunch of money and he's like, fuck this. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go back home. So he goes back and then... Poor guy gets woke up in the middle of the night by the British police, like forcing him to go back to England. It's it's pretty crazy, like the whole like all of the events and just realizing it's like a true story. Yeah. So the four of them are thrown into jail. Uh, actually, way more people are thrown into jail. Pretty much, Daniel Day Lewis's entire family in this film are all blamed for certain things. Are all culprits of certain imaginary blame that they're throwing mm -hmm. towards them and so a large majority of his family are all thrown in bars they're all yeah. put in jail for you know different amounts of time yeah they even throw his nephews or cousins um into it's actually his cousins they throw his little cousins into jail as well like the one little boy was like, I don't know, maybe 10 or something when he went to jail. It kind of blew my mind that they're trying to say they were conspiracy to helping them with the bombing. And this small child goes to jail. Like, do they not have juvie back then? Like, I'm very confused for like bad kids. I didn't think they would just take him straight to jail at 10 years old. Yeah, well, when you help out Daniel Day-Lewis, you just go straight to the slammer. They, they don't care about your age. They didn't even <laughs> check his ID. They went, all right, punk, get in line. Nice try. So pretty much, they're all thrown in jail. Daniel Day-Lewis, 
a few of his hippie friends, his family, including his da, which is what he calls his dad. And that's and that's the saddest part is his dad loved him so much, and he literally just went back to try to help his son get out of the trouble that he had gotten in because he's always gotten in trouble. It's just kind of who he is. But then whenever they turn around and they throw his dad in jail, that's like, sorry, his dad. Uh, That's really like crazy to me. He literally had been there for like two seconds. They're like, okay, you in jail too. Yeah, his father, or sorry, his dad is definitely the moral compass of this film. I think what makes the film pretty enjoyable in my mind, especially based on a true story, is a lot of films based on true stories. And a lot of my issues with films based on true stories, uh, you know, I'm I'm a sucker for biopics and all that. But for the most part, I do have, you know, a bit of a complaint that whoever the film's based on, they're essentially God's gift to Earth, right? Like, like they're essentially always shown as, ah, they've done nothing wrong. They're the hero, right? Like, the movie never wants to portray a real-life human being in a negative light. Which, you know, makes sense to an extent. But something like, you know, uh, King Richard like la- from last year, or whether it be Bohemian Rhapsody from 2018, whether it even be something like Gandhi, which obviously, uh, you know, Gandhi's a pretty prolific, kind figure to begin with. But he was never in a bad light. Like, every one of these true stories, they're always portrayed in a very positive light. And so it always makes the films feel a little over the top, a little cheesy, a little hard to imagine that these can be real but the lead character in this movie daniel day lewis's character uh is right off the bat very obviously not a heroic figure no he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time he's he's not this heroic person that got taken away got his rights removed because he's such a hero and this is so unholy what they're doing to him he was stealing from a hooker he was clearly doing some bad things uh he clearly doesn't really care about the repercussions of his actions even when he's in jail, he's not really trying to fight for justice, trying to get out of it, right? Like, he's sitting with somebody, he's doing drugs in the cells. Like, he, he doesn't care. His father is the moral compass of this film, and I think that's what makes it interesting, how we aren't really sympathizing too much with Daniel Day-Lewis as a no. person. We're sympathizing with Daniel Day-Lewis in his situation. He's screwed over. He is unrightfully in jail because they decide to scapegoat him and his friends because they're just an easy target. They're the Irish, they're visiting. This must be a setup. It's a really easy scapegoat for the British, you know, for the British police to just push it all towards them. Yeah. And I, so uh, that's what I think makes the film really exciting is uh, the heroic figure is his father, who is, by all accounts, just the nicest father ever. Like, I'm team Da for sure. But our lead character uh, is morally gray, and he does have, uh, you know, some flaws to his character, and that's what makes the movie more real to me. Like, that, I can believe all of this. Like, this is such a crazy story, but because the lead character is such a morally gray character, but he's still super likable, and you still are rooting for him to get out of this shitty situation. I think the movie feels realistic, uh, but also uh, really exciting. Mm -hmm. And, like, we keep calling him Da, but, like, let's just give a shout-out to the character's actual name, which was Giuseppe. Great name. Yeah, a great name for him. But, yeah, no, I think my favorite part of this film literally was almost the relationship 
between Daniel Day-Lewis and Giuseppe. Um, you really got to see it go from bad to good to, like, whatever. And then at the end, yeah, Giuseppe has started this campaign. And uh, there are some events that happen. And Daniel Day-Lewis ends up running it. And, like, he kind of has a little bit of a character arc where, like, he kind of realizes we need to we need to fight for this. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I thought it was kind of empowering. I I really liked the end. There was only one part I didn't like, but yeah, it was good. Wait, so what's the part you don't like? Well, I feel like it's a spoiler. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll do a little spoiler warning uh, later in the podcast. We'll we'll address this later, I guess. Okay. But, but I'll definitely want to touch back on that because I'm curious. So Daniel Day Lewis and the rest of them they're trying to finally kind of get out of the situation. Emma Thompson, who, you know, uh, I think she was stronger in The Remains of the Day, but she was more of a central character here. I hear she's very much supporting. She kind of only pops in by the last, like, one-third of the movie. Yeah. Like, you kind of see her for a little bit. She kind of, you know, if you blink it or miss, you can quickly be like, oh, wait, Emma Thompson's over there. I see her. She's just driving her around yeah. for, the, like, over half of it. She's just hanging out. Yeah. Uh, but she kind of pops in and really starts helping out, uh, especially her relationship with Daniel D. Lewis's Da. Uh, I think that uh, her and the father are really great, but you know, let's give a little spoiler warning. I'm trying to dance around this. Uh, if you are interested in this movie, uh, based on a true story, you know, uh, will he or will he not get out of jail uh, for something that he never mm-hmm. even did? Uh, which, by the way, I guess a non-spoiler because uh, it's very early in the film. The guy who did do it uh, confessed. In jail to both yeah. of them. So, so he confessed to the police. The police just don't care. They don't care. They just don't want to be like, yeah. oh, sorry, we were wrong. No, because they're too prideful and, like, jerks. Also, the police did torture Daniel Day-Lewis and, and his fellow friends. They, they tortured them to get them to make a false confession. Yeah. And so, obviously, if they were to admit to the public that they actually caught the real person mm-hmm. and those people didn't actually do it, they would have had to then admit that they did torture them. So they were kind of, you know, well, we did torture these guys. Let's just torture them more and keep them in jail for the rest of their lives. Like, you know, they were, yeah. they, like, the police could have maybe owned up to their mistakes and, you know, maybe grew as some human beings themselves. But unfortunately, they kind of had to dig their heels in and just refuse to let these people live their lives. So that was definitely something that was interesting. Mm-hmm. But... Now we can move on to a little bit of spoilers here. So if you don't want to get spoiled, uh, you know, maybe skip ahead by five minutes because we'll talk about a bit of this here. But Giuseppe, Daniel D. Lewis's da, does pass away. Yeah, that's really sad. And he's just fighting so hard uh, to get out. You know, you, you see his health start declining while in jail. Uh, there is a there is one fight uh, that Daniel Day-Lewis and the actual bomber basically start. And then for some reason, Giuseppe, the guards think Giuseppe's in on it too. So, like, they hurt him because they're trying to take him down. And then from that point, he can't really walk down the stairs. And his health just starts declining. And that's really sad. And you're, all you want to see is him get out. You want to see him with his wife again with the girls 
This doesn't happen. Yeah. And Emma Thompson is really incredible in the last section here. Yeah. She lifts up the papers that she wasn't supposed to see, and she's like, you knew all this time that they had a witness. They were innocent. I even have this piece of paper here that says, don't show this to the defense. Like, she's, she's really good at hamming it up. You can tell this was a supporting actress nomination speech right there. That was, that was her Oscar clip for sure. I haven't seen the Oscars for that year, but that had to have been it. Her holding up that piece of paper and saying, you try to hide this from these people. You knew they were innocent. Like, that's awesome. And that's what you like about courtroom dramas. I mean, that's why I like this film so much. I'm not a big jail guy. Yeah, you I, I guess really so. liked any of the jail yeah. movies. I like the last jail yeah. movie. We Midnight watched, Express. Like, yeah, yeah, way more than you, I felt yeah. like. You did not like it. Yeah, it was a bit of a stink, we're not going to lie. But yeah. I'm not a fan of the jail stuff. Like, I guess no one's really a fan of jail. But, you know, in movies, I'm not a big fan of that kind of environment. It's just gray and, you know, harsh environment. It's, it's not, like, it's hard to do, like, cool cinematic angles. And it's, you know, it's hard to do speeches. People are just stuck yeah. in cells. But when we get to the courtrooms, that's my bread and butter, baby. The monologues people give. No, you're out of order. Like, that's what I live for. That's what I like. So all the stuff at the very beginning, at the very end, were so good. Like, I, I think it's some of the best courtroom stuff we've I seen mean, in a while. Yeah, and I mean, like, courtroom movies are always the best. Oh, they're the like, best, yeah. That's where it all started with, what was it, 13 Men? Oh, come on, 12 Angry Men. Oh, my bad. You added an extra angry one. Angry Men, and then it... Maybe you're thinking of 13, because it's the 12 Angry Men. And me, baby. I'm the 13th, because I'm always sitting there watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, and like you said, An Anatomy of a Murder. Like, there's so many great ones. Uh, I would, uh, dare I say, I would say the last section of this is almost as good as some of those moments. Like, it's just so good. It's it's some of the best courtroom stuff I've seen in quite a while. It's just really, really good. And Daniel Day-Lewis, who's sitting there in the bleachers, and he's, like, yelling, and he's getting so emotional that he's finally getting free, but knowing that his father died in prison for no reason, like, that's emotional. Just see the look in his eyes. Uh, and we can take a quick aside with Daniel Day-Lewis, but I do want to first address what your issue might be before we stop talking about spoilers. Well, what's your issue with this movie? No, no, I don't have an issue. Uh, I just think it's, like, really sad that Giuseppe dies in prison. That, like, sucks. Oh. He literally went there to go get his son. He didn't realize what he was going to get dragged into, what was going to happen. And it kind of just went all downhill, and then he dies in jail. I mean, I guess, you know, at least he had his son, but it was still really sad. Yeah. Does that make you like the movie less because that happened? No, no, I didn't, oh. no, I didn't say that. I okay, said gotcha. that, like, I just didn't like that but like they had to keep it in there because it's a true story so that definitely happened (laughs) like no offense to da or the real life giuseppe who i imagine is just a fucking awesome guy like he seems so such a stained up bloke in this movie but uh, i thought his death was the most important part of the film i thought it was so impactful and and i think that's why maybe the name of the movie we can quickly talk about it now in the name of the father i think that's playing on the fact that the ending all of this is for the name of the father. It's, it's to bring, it's to put a good name on Giuseppe mm-hmm. because they all got to escape and they were all admitted to being free, yeah. but they never in that courtroom admitted that Giuseppe was innocent. They, they, since he died in prison, he stayed as a terrible man. He never walked away as a free man. 
And so uh, he still has a bad name to his name. And so in the name of the father, this film is kind of, in a way, letting the audience know Giuseppe was also a free man. He was also innocent because he obviously was, right? Like he's the real victim of this movie. So I, th- I think the name is good in that aspect. You know, once, it's a little cheap, really. In the name of the father, it's about Giuseppe. You know, a, a little too on the nose for such a dramatic film like this. It's a little goofy, but. I kind of like. The more I think about it, I like the name. You know, like you said, we did need, like, not that we needed it, but Giuseppe dying actually a dramatic scene, you know, because then it kind of makes Jerry realize that he really has to fight this battle. Like, he needs to get out of here. Spoilers over for anybody that yeah. is, you know, maybe tuning back in here. Uh, let's really just, I want to talk about Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, he did, he was nominated for Best Actor. Well, no. Wait, are we going off the movie now? I was just going to say, I love that end scene. Like, Emma Thompson was amazing in the courtroom. It was amazing how she got those files. She accidentally got the, like, they gave her the wrong box, but she knew she wasn't looking at the right box. The guard was different. That was amazing. Her courtroom scene was amazing. And then Daniel Day-Lewis saying, I'm walking out the front like a fucking free person. Was pretty empowering and he was just basically making his way through a huge ass crowd of people and i loved it it was so empowerful empowering like just seeing him do that it was a good ending it was a really good ending to it this was film. really good let's talk about the one only deal lewis who is probably i think at this point now that we've seen in the name of the father have we seen four of his films yep yeah, at I least four so. big ones to my memory, uh, you know, one, two from PTA, two from our boy, Jim Sheridan. So I think for the four films that we've seen, uh, two of them we discussed on the podcast, which would have been My Left Foot and now In the Name of the Father. And then we have seen There Will Be Blood and Phantom Thread. So I got to tell you, I, I can't think of an actor more like Daniel Day Lewis that is able to, I've never seen an actor or an actress for that matter that has transformed in these films like Daniel Day-Lewis has done. And am I, like, is there another actor or actress that maybe I'm not thinking of? Because every film, he has a different voice, he has different mannerisms, he becomes a completely different character. I was watching this film, and there would be large stretches of time, and by large, I mean, like, 45 minutes to an hour. Like, I think only, like, twice in the entire film did I go, oh, wait, yeah, that's Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, I literally just got lost by this performance and actually believe this was the real human character the real what's the character's name jerry the the real jerry in this movie when i was watching it and that's something you don't really get with a lot of actors especially big actors like daniel day lewis like you know when you're watching a movie and you see someone like i don't know uh daniel you see daniel uh daniel kaluuya right who's a pretty great modern actor Brad Pitt, who is larger than life, like Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, I I, I don't know why I put Daniel with those two huge characters, huge, huge actors, but he, like all three of them, right? Like you see them in these big movies and you go, okay, yeah, this is Leonardo DiCaprio, baby. Like we're going to be seeing Babylon in a few months. And no offense to Brad Pitt, because I fucking love Brad Pitt, but there's not going to be a second where I'm not going to know that's my man, Brad Pitt. He's just Brad Pitt, right? Like he can't really... He's so iconic that he stays as 
his own character. But Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis really does transform. Like, My Left Foot and In the Name of the Father are two polar opposite performances. It's insane. His Irish accent in The Name of the Father is crazy. He genuinely just feels like he's an Irish guy. Yeah. No, you're right. He completely transforms himself. And he really just completely takes on the character. And I think that's the reason why he is, like, one of my favorite actors. It's crazy. If you think about it, we watched Daniel Day-Lewis and Anthony Hopkins, which are two of my favorite actors. And also... Tom Hanks as well from this year. He wasn't nominated for a Best Picture, but like Philadelphia was nominated, and I believe this he won his first Oscar. Yeah, this is his first Oscar. Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. So three of like my like literally they're probably all three in my top five actors. So that's like yeah. over half of my favorite actors came from close to this period, yeah. early nineties. Yeah, yeah, three of your favorite actors are all competing for the exact same Oscar. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy lineup this year has. And, you know, no offense to Tom Hanks. Well, we will be watching Philadelphia just for fun. We won't be ta- talking about it on the podcast. But, you know, no offense to Tom Hanks. There's no way he's better than this. I, I refuse to believe he's better than Daniel Day-Lewis in The Name of the Father and even Anthony Hopkins, potentially, in The Remains of the Day. Like, he's fantastic in that as well. Like, these are two exceptional performances mm-hmm. and the fact that they both lost to this new guy tom hanks who just shows up with philadelphia he's not even a best picture nominee and he just goes bada boom that's my oscar baby good for tom hanks that's crazy but you know um i think it should have been i i think hopkins or dion day lewis uh would be worthy winners here because i thought they were both incredible so i'm excited to see philadelphia i've never seen it before we will be watching it just to compare that performance. Uh, and, and, you know, Andrew's mm-hmm. never going to say no to a Tom Hanks movie. No, that's one of my goals is to watch all of Tom Hanks films like he's ever made. Perfect. Well, this is the perfect excuse. For me to sneak a Tom Hanks movie in, yeah. <laughs> that's right. So, anyways, that is everything for In the Name of the Father. Is there anything else that you wanted to maybe discuss here, Andrea? There's nothing else I really need to say. Is you know, it was a good film. I'm, honestly, I'm glad I picked this year. Like I, like I said, I think that all the films are going to be solid. We are good for two of them so far. I know Schindler's List is going to be amazing, and I have no doubt the other two that I've never heard of are going to be just as good. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the supporting actor and supporting actress nominations for this film? Pretty worthy, or yeah, no, no. Emma Thompson was an amazing. I and the crazy thing is she didn't win either like she got uh, best actress and best supporting right (laughs) she didn't win either which is crazy so I'm really interested in see like who did win those awards well the winner for lead actress and supporting actress we will be discussing next in the piano oh yeah I guess that makes sense we have seen that one before yeah both really strong performances i'm curious watching it right after this uh how it'll feel against emma thompson emma thompson is really good in both so you know a tough competition here honestly i think this year is just a prime example of acting powerhouses right like these are all incredible performances uh technically right like neither of these films that we discussed got nominated for best cinematography in the name of the father got nominated for best editing 
and the editing is good, but it's nothing like incredible, right? For In the Name of the Father, Andrea, do you have a quick storyboard for this movie? I'm going to go with something simple. I'm going to go with when a father really loves his son. I don't know. That's just how I feel. I feel like Giuseppe was, like, the best. <laughs> I feel like he deserves the, the show board. <laughs> like, I feel like that. Uh, mine would be something like uh, son and dad get wrongfully accused and Da goes down. Oh my god. Wow, that's so dark. Well, it's a dark movie. It's got to fit wow. that theme. Yeah, I had to make the movie. Wow. So anyways, that's everything for In the Name of the Father. Uh, you can follow us both on Letterboxd. Before we wrap this up here, Andrea, yeah. what would be your score for In the Name of the Father? Which, by the way, uh, I forgot to mention at the top of the podcast here, and I don't know if you're aware of this, Andrea, In the Name of the Father is our 50th film discussed. <gasps> on wow. the Oscar Rewind. You didn't tell me beforehand. I would have brought some, like, wine. Podcast. Yeah, yes. Let's celebrate on a wow. weekday. Why not? Just one glass of wine. Yeah. yeah. We'll get celebrate after. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Pretty cool. exciting. We're halfway to triple digits. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What, are, what would you give this film? What are you ranking it? Uh, well, I'm between two scores. I'm between a 4 and a 4.5. I do really enjoy this movie. I'm leaning towards a 4, but I'm definitely a high 4. I think this That's film is really good. so funny. Because, like, I like it, but... I think, I don't know. Like, I think I'm leaning to, uh, towards a 4 as well, but I was between a 3.5 to a 4. Ah, uh, okay. So we end up on the same score, yeah. but we are on opposite ends here. Yeah, I, I, which makes sense. I think... I was higher on this movie than you were. Uh, and on the flip side, at the beginning of this podcast, you were higher on The Remains of the Day than I was. I love so, you know, and, and You know, that one, I, I was a low four, uh, 3.5 maybe. You know, I was a little lower on it. So it makes sense. I was loving it. I gave it a 4.5. I know. So, I was shocked. Yeah, I thought that was a little too high. But you know. I uh, don't know. I think it's great. I think it's great. Oh my God, here you go. Oh my God. All right, so that's everything on our end here. Of course, catch up to us in two weeks' time when we discuss the next two films that are probably more well-known, and that is The Piano and The Fugitive. All right, see you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.